Hello, everybody in podcast world. And welcome to the home of professional podcasting. I think we're both a little bit, um, you can tell like this is the end of the week. <laughs> it is that. Uh, I need a little more pep in the And step. it's a little rainy and it's a little cold. and it's. I mean, know. personally, I like this weather. I could do but. without it. I could do without the mud. But it's part of the, it's the bridge. It's how we get there. And There's a, there's a guy on... Uh, I don't know. He does videos on Facebook, but I'm sure he does on other platforms. And he's like mid, he does stereotypical Midwesterners. And there was one he, I saw the other day where he was pretending to be the seasons, winter and spring, and like how winter always kind of comes back in the Midwest. Oh. <laughs> and spring, when he was playing spring, he's like, I am here. I have sprung. <laughs> Winter's like, not quite. Not so, quite. Anyway, you do not like mud. No, I have a four-wheel drive tractor, which is currently stuck in the mud. That will be my next job, one of my next jobs. That sounds getting, not fun. Getting it out of the mud. My next job is bringing a cat home. You do have a cat. I never in, in my, my life. study right it's now. It's in your office. First time, only time so far that there has been a cat in my study. That sounds the like a joke of some so. kind. Um, I never wanted a cat. I'm a dog person through and through. I am still a dog person, but I'm also... The question is, can your dogs become cat persons? I think one of them can. The other... Lorelai seems pretty chill. Yes. The other is a grumpy old man. And Oliver is anti-chill. He's the opposite of chill, so we shall see. He does not enjoy the UPS man. He does not. Or having, apparently anybody, Having been the UPS man, I can vouch for that. Anybody dropping things off at my house or yeah. walking by or currently driving by. Right. If I park on the other side of the street or drive by, I can yeah. see him in the window. There are some cars that he seems to hate more than others for some reason. But anyway, we'll see how that goes. Good times. Good times. I don't like people is what I've decided that leave animals out and don't take care of them. So, you know, either does Ty on Heartland. True. He just found puppies in the episode that we watched oh, yesterday. Oh, you're a long way to go. Do you know what happens? Like, if I sell you things, it won't be spoilers, right? Oh, it will be spoilers okay, then for I won't sure. Say but, but I'm no baby. I can handle it. Well, like, so, it's a big And spoiler. I've seen enough, you know, things about stuff that I know. Like, it's a big spoiler. I know who's around and who's not around. Do you know who's around right yeah, now? Mostly. I know the current storyline with him just because it keeps coming up on newsfeed stuff. Oh. So, so you know he's not around. He's. In the process of being around again, apparently. So how? Uh, He's dead. <laughs> he probably dead. regrets his decision because yeah. ain't nobody else hiring him. They're so. they're gonna bring in uh, Marvel directors because right. nobody ever dies. Right. But. That's like I think Daniel Essing regrets leaving when calls the heart because he hasn't really been in anything else. I'm just saying, y'all want to branch out, but you got a paycheck right. coming in. Right. So that happens so many Silly. times. You see these people that are like. Well, I resent that part. I'm like, that part paid you millions right. of dollars. It's like Robert Pattinson. He says he hates Twilight. I'm like, okay, but you became But a you are nobody name. apart from Twilight. Right. Uh, I've never even seen it. I don't even have a whole lot of respect for the franchise. But you're the Batman you. because right. of right. this. You're <laughs> emo Batman. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. Which is getting some pretty huge reviews. I want to see it because, you know, I'm a DC person. And uh, apparently is much more of a detective noir film heard, than yeah. a superhero film, which I dig. Um, so I'm kind of curious about it. I guess they had to use some new technology to be able to shoot it because they made it so dark that you couldn't actually see Batman. <laughs> you couldn't see the characters. So they had to get some special lenses to be able to uh, 
to do that. I was just reading an article about it the other day. So interesting. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. Our cats. So that was big when I was in college. So hmm. anyway, I was not here this Sunday. Sorry. I was prepping for a colonoscopy. Yeah. Now the whole world knows. Yeah, it was. I would a good have time. rather been here. But uh, it was a good time. I had to play guitar in your absence. Oh well, but, it's broken, so you broke it. So. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't play guitar, so that uh, was not going to be something that happened. We did try to talk Dennis into it. Understand he was. Uh, he knows one chord. Had, had a really good lesson yep. going on. He was really confident <laughs> in his that, A chord. He said, "If you can have all the songs have only this chord, yep. then." I mean, he he had it down pat. So. <laughs> Two Good more, times. two more. If you learn three chords, you can play thousands of songs. So see, that's he's, he's a third there. These are good living good on things. a prayer. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I don't admittedly know a lot about what we're talking about, other than uh, the discussions that you and I have had previously about it when we we're talking yeah. about coming up with this little mini series leading into Easter. Yeah, as we're doing it, we're kind of looking at the four portraits of Christ in the Gospels, uh, and there's obviously much more that we see about Christ, but but these are four. Uh, rather general emphases that we see in the four Gospels. And interestingly, as we go through these, uh, this time we're talking about Christ as the promised King and Lord of all. And uh, next week we'll look at Christ the suffering servant, and then we'll look at uh, Christ as truly human and truly divine. And he is all of these things in all four of the Gospels. It's not that you know we're getting a different idea of who Christ is based on who's writing it but what we are seeing is is in each of them being written from a different perspective for a different audience audience and a different purpose um, there's a different emphasis on on you know trying to convey this particular picture of Christ and so I keep using this portrait uh, phrasing and I don't know if it's the best phrasing but it's what's in my head and that's all I can deal with is the voices in my head. So anyway, <clears throat> I just saw a T-shirt that said, uh, "I do what the voices in my wife's head tell me to do." Nice. So I, it was your mom says you could have played guitar. Do you know how to play guitar? That's a hidden talent that you're no did, keeping from everyone. No, I want it, to know more. It about was this. one of the several instruments that I started and didn't finish over the years, like most everybody else. So nah. uh, all of the non-players. But in do the you world know three who, chords? No, but no. I did at one point. So at this point, no. <laughs> and since I can't really use my left hand right now, it really wouldn't work anyway. Yeah. So anyway, in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew presents this picture of Christ as the promised king. So as a Jew writing to a primarily Jewish audience's audience, he is um, relying heavily on messianic prophecies. He is the emphasis that we see in the book uh, it, it's it's not less of his suffering. It's not less uh, of his humanity or his divinity, but he's focused in on this idea that Christ is the king from David's line that, that was promised, that was foretold uh, and has come. And as he establishes that identity, uh, he does so in the context of, of Jesus as the promised king. And so we'll see in Mark that, that he establishes Christ as king, but his focus goes elsewhere. He goes to the suffering servant idea. Um, and, you know, we'll see that that Luke really connects Jesus with humanity. And, and as the only Gentile writer, and I don't want to, you know, 
speak to what I'm going to be doing in the future. But but as the only Gentile writer, he's really focusing um, on the Christ for all people. So he's, he's the Savior of, of all, not just of the Jews. So Matthew is focusing here specifically, John, by the way, is focusing on Christ as God, uh, more theological than the other three. So the first three are known as the synoptic gospels or the synopsis of this of the three years of, of Christ's ministry. They don't, by God's design, spend time on what Jesus did as a child and you know what his favorite Saturday morning cartoons were and all these kinds of things. Um, so we don't have anything uh, that is reliable, uh, certainly nothing in scripture that tells us what his childhood was like, right. other than we see him at the temple at 12. And, uh, so as he's uh, as he's going, as let me say, as the gospel writers are going through the story of who Christ is, the focus is on what he came to do, who, who he was, and what he came to do are blended. They're, you know, the the identity of the Messiah and the the task of the Messiah goes together. <clears throat> so as Matthew is kind of laying this out in his gospel. Um, we looked at the core reality that all authority belongs to Jesus Christ as God's promised eternal king. And so that's a pretty pretty general kind of sounding statement. I, I thought, man, you really need a better core reality to kind of bring in the, the uh, transformational intent of this. And um, I think as we're doing a survey of each of these, you know, we're not getting into right. the deeper parts. Uh, Again, as I said the other day, it wasn't like it was a short sermon, but I was really proud that we got the whole book in in less than a day and a half. So as we're going yeah, well, through we spent, this, we spent like over a year in Luke, didn't we? Right. Like, yeah. Last year, right. and now we're spending a week on, right, on each right. of these. So as we're going through it, um, the the transformational intent is is there, and we see in the book that that. In each of these gospels, the goal is that we would believe, that we would place our faith in Christ, that just as Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry in, in Matthew and in Mark, that we would repent and believe, repent, the kingdom of God is near, uh, turn from our way to God's way. So Matthew establishes that um, with this uh, key concept of, of authority. So if he sees Jesus as, as the promised king from the line of David, who is the Lord over everything, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that was our uh, Revelation 1916 was our memory verse uh, for the week that on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, which is currently written on the whiteboard in my kitchen. That my daughter drew it up there nice. for me. Um, so Matthew establishes this idea, um, th this central theme of authority. Through the, through the whole book. And we'll see in each of the um, Gospels that there is a kind of a general um, picture that hinges on this idea. And you can see that just from the very beginning, Matthew starts with uh, chapter 1, verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he goes through this, uh, this truncated um, structured genealogy that was common among the Hebrews. So the the purpose of the genealogy is to show that Jesus Christ is both son of David and son of Abraham. So we're, we're seeing in Messiah here the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant that God's promised to Abraham that he would um, bless all nations through him and that uh, his promise to David 
uh, the Davidic covenant that the um, son of David, one of David's line, would always sit on the throne. So there are, uh, we see Judah come up in here, and we see in Genesis 49 the picture that um, when when his father blesses him, he says that Judah will always uh, rule, that there, the scepter will never pass from his family. So then at the very end of Matthew, we, we see this book ended with, um, with authority as well. So he starts by establishing the credibility of this authority, the basis for it. And then at the end of chapter 28, we see what we call the, the Great Commission, um, then Jesus came to them and said, and I think this gets left out, by the way, of a lot of our retelling of the Great Commission. We focus on, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. But we miss out on, on the foundation of that, which is really central to Matthew's telling of the gospel here. Uh, verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And, and what do you do when you're doing that? As you're going about making disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So they're identified with, with Christ in the Trinity and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So there's a command. Commanding requires authority. Right. So this picture of authority is huge. This is this is the, the nature of it is Jesus being King of kings and Lord of lords is the fulfillment of the promise. Mm -hmm. He is the authoritative king. He is the ruler. Therefore, we do what he tells us to do. And it's credible. And we can hang on to his promise because God has already kept his promise in Christ. When he says that I'm coming back, we can trust in that. And so we see the commission in verse 20 wrap up with this idea. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this one who is king of kings and lord of lords, we see in the book of Revelation at the return. So if he is who Matthew establishes him to be, then we can rest in that promise that he not only has authority, but he has all authority over not just the things we're going through now, but over heaven and earth, all spiritual authority, all temporal authority. He has all of it and always will all the way to the end of Revelation where he appears with this name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So that's that's where Matthew is is establishing the entire gospel picture for us is in the authority of Christ. And so we kind of we went through all of the the chapters and talked about um, even how you know how Herod in trying to kill the all the babies in, in yeah. Bethlehem. Why? Because he wants to kill this one who is supposedly born king. Because the authority of Christ as the promised king is a threat to those who are holding that authority as the poser king. So when we see Herod, uh, what he's threatened by is the authority of Christ. He's trying to snuff that out. It doesn't work because Christ Which is the promised king. Which he's used to. He's, I mean, he's right. snuffed that, out that, his own kids. Right. That's his normal, right. normal right. MO, and it's worked out pretty well for him. So you know, as far as what he saw, um, we see that John is there as a herald, as the herald of God and his kingdom. And so when he is the one who is there to prepare the way for the promised king and he is announcing mm -hmm. Christ, we see that same thing. And, and Jesus gives all these uh, parables of the kingdom. And he tells what the kingdom of God is like and, and focuses on this 
uh, on the nature and authority of the Lord, of the master, mm -hmm. uh, and the return of the master, and the accountability when the master returns, that we need to give an account. Uh, he does any number of miraculous signs to establish not only that he is um, that he is the Lord of of the moment, but he's the Lord of earthly things, he's the Lord of heavenly things, uh, of creation, and also the curse because of sin. He can undo the curse by healing the, the sick, by raising the dead. He can uh, command creation as the creator. He can walk on water. He can still the raging sea, all these different things. So we, we see this question then come up, chapter 12, verse 23, you know, in response to what Jesus is doing, uh, the people are amazed because he teaches as one with authority. And they say, could this be the son of David? So he demonstrates his authority in casting out demons. Mm -hmm. he, de he claims and declares his authority even over the Sabbath. This is the authority that only God has. Um, in chapter 4, he talks about the return and, and the end of things and basically tells us to all maybe chill out a little bit. Don't be so worked up over all the stuff that's going on here and now in this earthly moment because um, there are things that, this, this has to happen. Right. But these are signs that we're getting, that the fruit is getting ripe. We're getting to the place where the harvest is coming. Uh, in the meantime, relax. Not, not relax in the sense of be complacent, but don't stress. Get about your business. Mm -hmm. There's work to be done while we're here. So knowing that, uh, as the poem says, there's work still waiting for you, so you must not idle stand do your work while life remaineth, you'll rest in Jesus' land. There is a work for us to do, to, to be accountable to the master. And there, this is, you know, we see it culminate in his commission as, as he is preparing to ascend, which we don't see the account of the ascent necessarily uh, here in, in Matthew 28, as we would see in, uh, at the end of Luke. Um, but when we see him giving this commission, this is the work that he's leaving for us. So he's, as he's preparing uh, to ascend and, and to go back to his throne on high, um, he says, look, here's my authority. I'm in charge. I'm giving you a job. Go and do it. Mm -hmm. Well, the king of all kings can do that. He can, right. he can assign these things rightly. And so there are some implications that, that we have from that. So he's, Matthew, just kind of to run through these these points and then stop me if you have something that that uh, you want to draw out from it. We see that that uh, Matthew establishes Christ as qualified to reign with divine authority and that early genealogy and uh, picturing who he is. We recognize that he rules over both God's creation and sin's curse uh, through the signs and wonders that he does. Uh, he establishes that he is the Lord of eternal things by, <coughs> pardon me, by saying that he's the Lord of the Sabbath by forgiving sin. These are things that only God can do, uh, these eternal things. Um, it's important for us to recognize also, as Matthew presents it here, and we'll see this in the other Gospels as well, that while Christ as king brings good news for his people, he is rejected by the world. The world rejects his reign, his rule in our lives. Uh, and this is precisely why uh, there is a division between the believers and unbelievers, why there's a difference between the sheep and the goats. So uh, 
Christ is rejected as king by the world uh, and and unbelieving hearts want to we want to rule ourselves. We want to do our own thing, be our own king. We don't really like submission to authority. Uh, he establishes the reality that, that he will return, wreck and restore and reign, that that he is coming back. He, this was this first advent was not the completion of his promises for Israel. Uh, this was the establishment of it. It was the victory over sin, not the victory over the world. And so his victory at the cross uh, that uh, is established by his resurrection uh, is the the precursor, if you will, to what's coming when he returns and judgment, the final judgment comes. When the, the last person to get saved right. uh, is, is completed, then the, the final judgment will come and, and uh, everybody will settle accounts. He'll reckon with us. I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've always kind of thought, and I know we'll get into Luke in, what, two weeks? Um I always, I've always seen that almost as, I don't want to say most authoritative gospel, but it certainly takes a different standpoint because Luke was not a disciple or was not, you know, one of, one of the 12, 12 right. Yeah. And he was, I guess I always think of him as like a science guy and, you know, taking the facts from a, a different point of view. Mm -hmm. um, so we've talked a lot about Matthew establishing authority, both at the beginning of the book and the end. Right. And... So I guess I've, I've wondered this before, but especially in talking about the, the authority that's been established from these accounts, what did people, non-believers and people rejecting Jesus, how, <laughs> when you, when you like we have now, I, I guess it's, it's maybe easier for me to understand why people have a hard time fully accepting or believing Christ because you're reading what has happened. Mm -hmm. And it is your choice to to believe that and accept it. But when you see things happening with your own eyes, which is many people's argument, well, if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. If you experience these things, see these things, if you talk to close friends who saw these things or experienced these things in that time, why was he, I realize it's part of prophecy, but why was he really so rejected when people were in the midst of, what he was doing, you know? You want the short answer? Because well, we, we only have time. like five minutes. So short, yeah. The short answer is sin because our hearts are hard. I mean, is there like a realistic answer for like, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is the answer because our hearts are hard. We are hostile toward God. And while we act like we want to think that everybody wants to receive the Lord, we want to you know, know God. Oprah says everybody knows God in their own way and that, all that kind of stuff. That's simply not true. It's not biblical and it's not experientially proven. The reality of our lives is that we want to be God. We don't want to submit to God. And therefore, our hearts are hardened against him. Romans 8 tells us that our, 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 the heart controlled by sinful flesh or the mind controlled by sinful flesh doesn't submit to God, nor can it do so. We're not capable of submitting until God opens our eyes. And so when Jesus spoke in parables, he said, this is so that those who are unbelieving won't believe. Because they're going to hear it, but they're not prone to understand it and, and take it in. If they would, if they would do that, then they could believe and be saved. They could repent. But that's not who they are. That's not what they're going to do. So I speak in parables, and there it is. Those who who are given faith to receive it, whose eyes are opened and are, are willing to take that in, have ears to hear, they'll get it. Is it the same reason he would often say, like, 
don't tell anybody about this or don't, or was that for just because it wasn't the right time? <laughs> yeah. The, the timing is a big part of it. You know, is we're not always told why he does certain things. And but sometimes he did say, go tell these people or don't tell anybody or whatever. And, you know, I always wondered what right. was the point of that? Yeah. Generally speaking in the earlier parts of his ministry, the message was don't tell anybody mm -hmm. because if, that's the case. If you're out there telling people what's going on, now he ascends to rock star status. Now right. everybody wants to see Jesus on the healing tour and, and come see all the miraculous things. And from a human perspective, that's what we want. You right. Know, but that's not what be, God wants right. from us. So the, the signs and, and miraculous, wondrous things that Jesus did, um, these were like a business card. This is like mm -hmm. the, the ID badge for him to establish his authority. That I, I am who I say I am according to this. And that's why he didn't heal everyone, you know, because if, again, if Jesus came to heal the sick, he did a really lousy job. If he came to, to fix the social ills of life, did a really lousy job. But that wasn't what he came for. He came to save us from sin, too, so that we could place our faith in him and receive God's grace. And so he does that, as expected, perfectly because he's Christ. Now, as folks are, are wrestling with this and going through what do we got time-wise here? Um, going through the uh, the picture, uh, what am I trying to say? That this picture of authority, um, that's really the crux of why people accept or reject Christ. Right. Who's going to be king? Right. And if I, if I am not prone to believe it, then the evidence doesn't shake me. So we, you know, we say, well, I wouldn't believe this if, I mean, I wouldn't believe this unless I were able to see it. But if I could see those miracles, I would absolutely believe it. No, you wouldn't. Because in the same way that we look at scientific evidence and take a leap of faith that we would much rather trust Charles Darwin, who's dead, over the Lord who is living, we would rather look at the evidence and say, you know, I got two conclusions that I can come from with this evidence. One seems to be dramatically supported by the evidence. One may be supported, maybe not supported. One is in Scripture. Therefore, I either like it or I don't like it based on my perception of mm -hmm. God. The other is in my own understanding in, in human wisdom. Well, clearly we are smart. and God can't exist. So I, this is right. I, I'm, obviously I'm, I'm hyper simplifying right. it. On purpose, because that's really what it comes down to is, you know, when we look at the evidence, it isn't the evidence that changes us as much as our presuppositions about the evidence. Mm -hmm. When we are true seekers of truth and we want to, to see objectively um, what a thing is, is true or not or what a, what is true, uh, then we inevitably are open to the Lord changing our mind. That's not generally how human beings work. So to be a true seeker of truth, he needs to change our hearts because we have a predetermined truth that we're looking at. Uh, and again, we've got scientists who can look at order from disorder. That's not logical. It's not scientific. Order from order is. Right. So when we see orderly things in creation and we say, oh, well, it just happened by chance to just randomly, just spontaneously right. come this way. Right. Well, that flies in the face of everything else that you believe about right. science. Right. So then we go so far to reject God. We go so far as to create entire narratives, narratives of science to, to change no evidence how, to back them up. Right. So then we start coming up with theoretical stuff 
and calling it science so that we can justify our conclusions. And it, it's really, it's a hard issue as much as anything else. And so sorry, I got you off track. When you, when you ask the question, why would people reject it? Because they want to, because they don't want to accept it. But the Pharisees saw the same miracles as everybody else. I reject it. They, and so they right. They knew it was true. They, you know, and they tried to. Well, it's so, almost like Herod, he must have believed that, that uh, in Christ's authority, even as a child, or he wouldn't have right. cared to have him killed. Enough to see it as a threat. Right. Not enough to submit to it, but right. enough to see it as a threat. And so the Pharisees kind of did the same thing. Right. So who knows the truth of these things more than the devil? Right. The devil knows. He's not submitting. Hmm. And, and that's, you know, a huge reality that we need to come to terms with is there's a big difference between accepting in the terms of, of mental assent. I can mm. see that it's true. I can understand that it's true. I can have right doctrine. But if I'm not surrendered to it, if I don't love it, mm. then I'm still on the outside. So uh, we saw also that Christ the King uh, gave his life to redeem his people, that that's the kind of king that he is. And we'll see that come up a lot in Mark, that, that he is the king, but he is not just a king who, like we're used to that wants to wield the power, a politician like Herod, right. you know, trying right. to hold on to this. Uh, he's here to redeem his people and to the point that he lays his life down for them. And we see in his resurrection that he has authority even over death. Therefore, he can give us the commission that he did to represent his kingdom because he has all authority. So, you know, because he is the king, we know God keeps his promises. We can place our hope in Christ. Uh, he's our victorious king. Because of him, we know Ultimately, whatever other garbage we go through in this broken world, fallen world, cursed world, we win. And because he's the king, we obey him. And because of the kind of king that he is, we love him. We'll stop there. I feel like there's a ton more to say, but we are out of time. And I don't even have time to do our outro on this thing. So uh, we will see you guys next week, and I will do our outro.